0: right so if you were to ask me um if you were to ask me last year at this time january 6 2018 if if i would have known how 2018 was going to turn out for just my own life uh, i would have told you that um, that i I was completely clueless i would have no idea i would have no idea and christina wouldn't that in January 6, 2018, that we had anywhere on our radar, anywhere on our radar, I mean not even close, that a year later we would go from four to six kids. I mean it is not even it wasn't even there. It was not even a, a possibility, a potential. I mean we just didn't even think about that. And I'm not ashamed to admit it. It's not the plan that I was picking. Not ashamed to admit it. Four was enough. But this year, that year, I mean, that year was another living example to me of just how limited my scope of life is. How small my my thoughts and views of, of, of life is, because now I don't think we would trade it. I mean the the Lord's plan is rich and good. And, and the same goes. I mean, we, we don't know what's going to happen this next year. I mean, we thought 2018 was crazy. Who knows what 2019 has in store for us? None of us do. We make plans, and plans are good. We have goals, and goals are Are good we have things that we want to do we have things that we want to achieve in different areas of our life but never could we speak of those plans with absolute certainty can we cannot well we we can't even really predict with a hundred percent certainty what's going to happen in the next two minutes but we all make plans we all make plans based upon what we believe the future will be like. We get weather forecasts, and so we plan accordingly, but they're not always right. All right we, if we think it's going to rain, we, we take our umbrellas, or we wear our rain jacket, or we just f- stay home. Knowledge of the future, if, if we could, could obtain it, it would, it would change how we live. It would, it would change how we prepare. It would, it, would be, it would change how we work. Now, you might remember toward the end of Luke chapter 9 that Jesus was, um, told his disciples that the Son of Man was going to suffer, be killed, and raised up. In fact, he tells them twice. And then after the second time, Luke gives us an insight of of what's going on in the group of the disciples, and and apparently one of the disciples must have told Luke this, that that the whole perspective of the ministry changed because now Jesus has his, his face turned toward Jerusalem. And we know that that's going toward the cross. And so what we see Jesus doing now in in the gospel of Luke, Jesus knowing the future, he knows what's going to happen. He is preparing his disciples for the for the for life uh, in the time between the resurrection and his return in glory and judgment. He's preparing them. And, and, and then what we what we'll see this morning in our passage is that he really gets to the point of that. The, the point of I'm coming back. And and he tells them how this is how you are to live in in the midst or the idea that that I am I'm coming coming back. You know, we plan so much in this life, wisely too, and this is good. We We plan so much in this life for the things that really we're uncertain about. Because we're not guaranteed. But what Jesus tells them and tells us to plan for is a certainty. Remember, knowledge of the future is what changes life. It could change our life. It changes how we prepare, it changes how we, how we work, it changes how we relate to one another. And he tells us these things, and he tells his disciples these things so that they would be ready. Look at Luke chapter 12. We're going to read together starting in verse 35. Starting in verse 35. He says, stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning. And be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the wedding feast so that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes truly i say to you he will dress himself for service and have them recline at table and he will come and serve them if he comes in the second watch or in the third and finds them awake blessed are those servants but know this that if the master of the house had known at what hour the thief was coming he would not have left his house to be broken into you also must be ready for the son of man is coming at an hour you do not expect verse 41 peter said lord are you telling this parable for all of us for us or for all and the lord said Who then is the faithful and wise manager whom the master will set over his household to give them their portion of food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom the master will find so doing when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. But if that servant says to himself, my master is delayed in coming and begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and get drunk, The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and in an hour when he does not know and will cut him into pieces and to put him with the unfaithful. And that servant who knew the master's will but did not get ready or act according to his will will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know and did not and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. Everyone to whom much is was given, of him much will be required. And from him to whom they entrust much, they will demand more. This is the word of the Lord. And may his Holy Spirit move in our hearts to hear, see, his holy inspired and inerrant word for his glory and our joy. Amen. I can't imagine with some of the words that Jesus used in this passage being very popular anymore. Um, It isn't the kind of language that the tamed, tolerant Jesus, who never judges anyone, will say. What's interesting about this passage, or one of the things that's interesting about this passage, is it's, it's, it's speaking about his second coming. So it's speaking about a a reality that hasn't happened yet. And in fact, for the disciples, uh, Jesus hasn't even been raised from the dead yet. And he's already talking about his second coming. Now in the 19th century, in the late 19th century and spilling into the 20th uh, century, there was this this fad of evangelical pastors uh, and theologians that would take these kind of teachings of Jesus from from Luke 12 and Matthew 24 and some, some other places. And they would take these, these teachings from Jesus and in some way or another, find signs in the times that they are living in, and they would try to come up with this timeline of when Jesus is to return. See, these events have taken place, so, so this means Jesus must be returning back in this kind of way, and in, in this timing, sort of a Bible code uh, kind of kind of way and clearly every one of them are wrong and have been wrong and truthfully i think will continue to be wrong they took this text and they would and others to make it what they wanted to say for their own being but this text is not about trying to figure out when when jesus is coming back but it's how as christians We are to live before Jesus comes back, before he comes back. How we are to be faithful and obedient, to to be ready when he ultimately does. That's the certainty that we can speak of 100%, that he will come back. It's about how we live now and intentionally, how we care and love in one another. We spend our lives not, not living for ourselves and building our own kingdoms, but for the well-being of others to share the gospel and consider the good and the best the spiritual interests of other people than even ourselves. To share the gospel. It's also a passage, though, that puts... A lot of things in perspective, doesn't it? Remember I told you, Jesus knows he's going to the cross. Time is short. He doesn't beat around the bush that maybe sometimes we might do with each other because we think maybe there's more time. But to be ready. But to be ready. But, but not to be ready like, like the crazy sandwich board guy in, in Times Square. Right? We're not, not to be ready in, 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 in that way, but these exhortations and these encouragements are, are here to move us to live in a certain way. And as we've been talking over the last couple of weeks, it's, it's in a way that, that, that shows that all of our hope is not in this life. That all of our hope is is not in what we can achieve and gain and and, and build for ourselves here, but all of our hope is is really in the future. It's a a future blessed hope. Uh, Yes, a living hope that we can experience now, but in its fullness is in eternity. So Jesus makes it quite clear. Yeah, we're not going to know when he comes back. We're not, we're not going to know it until he does. But we definitely can know for certain that he's coming back. And then that knowledge, again, changes how we live. That certain knowledge of the future changes how we live, brothers and sisters. If Jesus is coming back, then we ought to make sure that we are among those who in this passage we are told are those who are rewarded and blessed and not cut into pieces and numbered among the unbelievers. This new year, this this new year, at at this point, it doesn't matter the, the time and energy wasted before, there is now. Now, but get ready. Look at these exhortations that he gives us, and it's, he starts right off in the very beginning, right off in the very beginning. He says, "Stay dressed for action. Keep your, keep your lamps burning. Be like the, the men who are waiting for their master to, to, to be on. Stay, stay awake. Be ready. I think stay awake, really encompasses a lot of those and within recent years we've we've seen in this movement in our broken culture you know different hashtag things and and there's one that goes by on on twitter and and i'm not a twitter person i used to be and it's just filled with vile and stupidity so i just stay away from it because it's a waste of time Um, but there was this hashtag that's very popular and it's hashtag woke and, and, and usually people are, they're using it because in, in a way of being opened or enlightened to, to some cultural idea or something, something radical, or maybe it's something political. Um, and unfortunately, a lot of times it's used to, uh, uh, to a more progressive agenda in, in our culture, but not always. And, and yet there's some way to it that understand of when we wake up to something new something that maybe we've been ignorant on or something that we've been wrong on forever how long it has been, if, if we've had an incorrect view on something or or if we're just ignorant on something and then we receive new information or or an, a new truth and then we change our view and we change our mind on those things, that is a good thing. We're changing in the right direction, of course. That's a good and that's a where the In fact, it's a very Christian thing to do. It's a very Christian thing to do that when we are encountered with truth, we change according to that truth. We submit ourselves under that truth. That's what we do when the Word of God enlightens us to maybe a sin in our life, or the Holy Spirit is convicting us of sin, and we change and we turn. Now we call that repentance. We do that with people. Maybe we've had stereotypes or person or or our group of group of people but when we get to know them we become in a sense a, awakened and we change we're always changing you know it's, it's one of the biggest problems in our country today is that we if you label someone a certain thing then at that point they can be completely dismissed and marginalized and minimize that they no longer have a view in the conversation. But when we see people with souls in the image of God, regardless of political views, we look to treating people with respect and dignity. But the great woke in this passage goes beyond any of those things goes beyond those things. But it's to stay awake, to stay woke, ready for the return of Christ. That's what changes our lives. And so when when Jesus to to stay dressed for action, this is a this is a great picture for us, right? To to understand that that whatever the occasion we know we need to be ready whatever that occasion may be now jesus is talking to particularly the men who wore back in that day long long robes and if you wear long robes to be dressed for action you can't wear that long robe in in a sense the way it is you would have to hike that sucker up and tie it around your waist so that you would be dressed for action and ready to go ready to run other places in the bible we saw that to be gird your loins it means to be ready. Be ready to be in action. In action to serve. Ready to receive our master when he comes back. He says, keep your lamps burning. Another, another picture. When the sun went down in Jesus' day, it was dark. There are no streetlights, no LEDs, no headlights. And if you were going to be ready at nighttime, you would need to have oil in your lamp, your wicks trimmed, and it ready to be lit or already going. This was the attitude, the posture of of serving, always being ready to receive the master when he comes home. Verse thirty-six. He gives us another way to be ready. Be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from the from the wedding feast. Another another picture, right? So here's the servants at the at the home, and the the master is 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 gone away, and the master owes no right to the servant to tell them when they're going to be back. And so, but a good and faithful servant waits all day and all night until the master comes home. And in the way that they party for weddings could be days. could be days on end. So being ready to go, prepared in such a way, right? we're, we're dressed and ready to go, the, the lamps are burning, in such a way when the master comes home, whenever that may be, no matter the time of day or night, the minute he shows up, he's going to find us ready for him, prepared. Welcoming, awake. Verse 37, 38, those who are awake, not asleep at the wheel, what does he say? They will be blessed. And, and there's just something amazing in this, in this passage, this, this blessing. How unheard of it is it for the master to serve the servant? How unheard of, how, how completely reversing things is that? Upending culturally that the master will serve the servant. And certainly we can't miss the eternal perspective that we see that I think Jesus is speaking about when he talks about the wedding feasts. When Jesus returns... And when he judges the nations, he's going to gather all his elect from all over the world. And then he himself is going to host the marriage feast. The marriage feast where the the bride and the bridegroom come together. We know it as the the, the marriage supper of the Lamb from Revelation 19. But again, the point. The point is to be ready to be ready to the Master, to be awake because the Son of Man can come back at any time, unexpected, anticipate his coming, pray for His coming, but be ready for His coming. When you were young, you might have been left home, home alone, maybe with your brothers and sisters. parents go away. Maybe they went to the store or you know, went out to dinner or whatever it may be. They're gone the whole day or however it goes. And, and before cell phones and GPS tracking and all that stuff, um, you really never knew when they were going to come home. You really didn't know when they were going to come home. And and, and and ultimately, you know, before the parents leave, they usually like to give the kids a lot of things to do. Do this, do this, and, of course, certainly don't leave the house a dump before they come home. But you never knew when they were going to come home. So the question in the kid's mind is, when am I supposed to do these chores? And, and if... Um, I wasn't very diligent when I was a kid. I still have a hard time with that. So I always kind of wanted to leave it to the very end. And I never knew when my parents come home. And, and if I didn't know when time my, my parents came home, it was like a, a crapshoot, man. Sometimes I would get caught, and sometimes I wouldn't. And you know what would happen if they did tell you, if you, if they did tell you when they're going to be, hey, we're going to be home at 3 o'clock. When would you do your chores? Yeah, about 5 to 10 minutes before they got there. I think you said 15, so you're better than me. Um, definitely. So the point is, it's easy to do what is right when you know you're going to be held accountable at a certain time. But real faithfulness, the faithfulness of a disciple and follower of, of Jesus, and, and real right faithfulness and integrity is demonstrated by doing right when it does not seem there's going the consequences for doing wrong. You see, the servant shows their true colors by how they act when they do not expect their masters to return. As parents, you might have been pleased when you see your children do things to do things when you weren't necessarily expecting them to do it and they're doing the things that are right. The reasons why we can prepare and be ready is because we know that in God's kingdom, our blessed hope, our fullness of joy is not here in this life, but it's stored up. It's stored up. Yes, we, we certainly, yes, we do enjoy great joy from the Holy Spirit, but it's not in its fullest. Right, we, we only get to a certain point, and then there's this ceiling that we get to. And we can't really get to it. But when Christ comes back, there's been stored up for this great eternal joy. And that's why the New Testament often tells us that our joy is inseparably connected to Christ's kingdom and Christ's coming, his second coming. If, if only our joy is, is in living in this earth now and what we can do and what we can receive, then guess what? We're going to find ourselves perpetually frustrated and perpetually unhappy. We'll never find it. But if we continue to press on and believe and get ready for what is coming, then we're going to live for a future hope, a future joy. That's been stored up. That is far beyond what we can receive here and now. This is why Paul says what he says in Second Timothy four eight. As he's at the end of his life, at least we think he's at the end of his life. His last book, you can tell he's tired. He's in prison. He says this in Second Timothy chapter four verse eight. He says, "Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness." Look what he's looking toward—the crown of righteousness that is that is due toward him, which the Lord, the righteous Judge, will award to me on that day, and not only me, but also those who have loved His what? His appearing. We look to that. That's the great joy. We stay awake. We stay woke to this great reality, waiting for Christ, watching for his arrival, because we know that's where the joy is. But we just don't stay awake. We don't want to be like the church in Thessalonica. Paul had to write Second Thessalonians 2. As we all know the verse. You don't work, you don't eat. We all know that. But that was in the context of people who were not working because they had this over-realized eschatology, meaning they believed Jesus was going to come back, which is right. So why do I have to work, though? I'm just going to live off to everybody else. right? So so we, we don't want to be like them. And Jesus is not telling us to be that way, but he is telling us to, to keep grinding, keep working, keep Going, be prepared in preparation for His coming takes work, takes energy. Look at the question that Peter asks in verse forty-one. And by the way, this is a Peter-esque question, right? You know, how Peter asks his crazy questions, and you can imagine in the eyes of Jesus. As maybe you can look at the eyes of sometimes of us, and and we're like, oh, okay, and. and yeah this is this is what Peter says um and essentially his question is like this is uh, Jesus um do we need to pay attention is, is this for us or is this just for everybody else so so we a couple teachers in the room right and we've all been in school and you know a, a teacher could be lecturing and teaching and teaching and then inevitably there's always someone who raises their hand and the teacher most often is expecting a really good question Like, they're expecting, oh, this is maybe a good question for lecture. And ultimately, the question usually comes out as, is this going to be on the test? Is this for us? Or are you just wasting your time? And, of course, the teacher, they're just going to be on the test. And Jesus answers Peter back with another question, telling him about the faithful servant faithful servant. Of course, this is for you, Peter. Of course, this is for you. Remember, he's leaving them soon, and he wants them to be that faithful and wise manager, leaving them to what? Care for the sheep, care for the others, feeding the other servants at the appropriate time. I want you to feed them the word of God. I want you to give them the means of grace. I want you to care for their souls. I I don't want you to use them. I want you to serve them. I want you to always be thinking about them. I want you to to be thinking about their spiritual well-being. I don't want you to take advantage of them. Don't get rich off of them. The gospel and the, the church are, are not a means for smooth talkers to get rich and famous. Brothers, you are to live your life in such a way, in such a way that you are feeding them, you're shepherding them, you're serving them. And this exhortation, again through another little parable to the, to the disciples, yes, directly applies to pastors and elders. I think he's directly applying this to to the apostles there and then to us, to pastors and leaders, because that's exactly what we are called to do. And there have certainly, unfortunately, been those who have neglected their work or have been flat out abusive in their work, not feeding the sheep, but only living for themselves. But the faithful pastor, the faithful elder, under shepherd, they're called to teach. And not just to teach and care for, for just the three hours a week, but, but their lives are to be in such a way and in, lived in such a way that even throughout the week and other concerns that they may have in their life, their primary concern is the well-being of the church. Beloved, you can pray for your elders Pray that that's our primary concern. That this flock will be fed and cared for, well nourished with the word of God, protected from wolves that would come in and to seek to pick off the sheep. We're seeking out the well-being of people who are lonely and isolated, who need help and encouragement in their trials and tribulations of life. That's the and of course this is for you peter <laughs> of course this is for you of course this is for us the the warning of verse 47 you can turn back and look and that servant it says who knew his master's will but did not get ready or act according to his will will receive a severe beating to to know their master's will For a leader to know the master's will and not feed the sheep with the word of God, what does he say that they are? They are wicked servants. Wicked servants that abuse or use the master's absence to exploit and oppress those he is responsible for. And their judgment is coming. You see, also there in in verse forty-eight, those who are ignorant of it, they still will receive judgments. But also in verse forty-eight, there's a there's another little word there that comes up in verse forty-eight that 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 also tells us it's not just about the leaders and the pastors. You see how it says everyone. And, and so this is in like we're now pouring this on you but but can you see anything any of the traits in that text that that we actually didn't hear from the previous uh, sermon messages we had back in november of one another the caring for one another the feeding of one another, the responsibility that we have to one another in in our membership everyone, to whom much was given, to much will be required. The knowledge of God's will is a trust. It's a a stewardship. And the more we know, the more we we give. And so we grind on together. We work hard together. We lean in together. We do the work of the kingdom, of the work of our king. So the, the point of the whole passage, Jesus is telling us, Yes, I am coming back. That's the certainty. But it's to be ready. Challenging words he has given us. Dress for action. Keep our lamps burning. What does all that mean? Does that mean i got to leave my lights on all night long at my house? I would get no sleep if I had to do that. I need everything black. We know Jesus is speaking figuratively to us here. Right, this is an image and pictures and metaphors meant to point us to the attitude and posture of our lives. And, and let me just give you a few, a few very practical things that we saw just from chapter 12, just from chapter 12 alone, that points to being ready, points to things that we could be, be ready in this new year first one is root out hypocrisy. You remember that all the way back to the beginning of chapter 12. Root out hypocrisy. Remember he was exposing the the, the Pharisee and he says this. He says, nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or what is hidden that will not be known. It's going to come out. Root out hypocrisy. Don't be like the Pharisees. That's what's going to happen when the righteous judge comes back. Root out hypocrisy in your hearts and in your lives as much as you can. Drag sin into the light. Confess it. Repent of it. The second one that he tells us, I, I think, is fear the Lord, verse 5. You see that in verse 5. Fear the Lord. Fear him after he, was, after he has killed, has the authority to cast into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him fear God. Cultivate moments of all in your life of the majesty of God over this year and take note of them. Cultivate moments as you encounter him in the scripture and to fear the Lord and that brings us to, to the next one, number three, boldness in, in witness. And we see that in verses 8 and 9, because if we have the proper fear of God, then that fear will diminish all other fears. It will diminish all other fears, uh, uh, namely the fear that we may think of what men may think of us, or women may think of us. And I think the number one reason why we are not more bold in our witness is because we are fearful Fearful of man. We're fearful what they think of us. I'm fearful what they may think of me. But being ready for the return of Jesus is being bold for being bold witness for Him. Not sandwich board crazy guy witness, but bold because we want to tell people about Christ. Because inevitably He is coming back, and that has massive eternal implications for others having this mindset of boldness and witness and fearing god is, is a mindset that's always open and ready to speak of the things of the lord to talk about jesus even to someone you may meet at walmart and you know how sometimes those conversations go you're friendly enough the conversation goes a little bit more and you may be able to have, take, take advantage of that. But if we're not open to it, but if we're not, if we're not open to it, then you're never going to see that open door. You're never going to see that open door that, that, that may be there. But if you are open to those doors, I believe the Holy Spirit will lead you to go through those doors. And if you look at verse 8 and 9, You'll see how the Holy Spirit will lead us in those things. And the words to say. And maybe it's because we don't know how to share the gospel. You're not confident in sharing the gospel. Is is there a better time than, than now to commit to learning how to share the gospel? or or learning now how to uh, maybe meet an unbeliever and and be willing to put the time in to walk through a book of the Bible with them to show them Jesus, maybe the Gospel of Mark. You don't have to teach it like this, but to show them and show Jesus throughout the Gospel. Every one of us are more than capable of doing such things. So that's number three, boldness and witness, and that's being bold. But they're there. There are people who will do that. Number four, don't worry. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. We won't spend much much time here. But in, in essence, if we are worried about this life, and we're worried about all those things then life that we need and the provisions and being taken care of, then reality is we're going to be consumed with those things. And we'll never be ready to share the gospel. We'll never be ready to be opened up to share the gospel with someone. We'll never be ready or fit for the kingdom of God. Because we're too consumed with those things that God has already said. I'm going to prepare for you. I've already prepared for you. I'm going to give you. Next one is seek the kingdom. Seek the kingdom. Verse 31 and 32. The cure to our worry and fear and anxiety is seek the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God is the people of God and God's place under God's rule. And so to seek the kingdom of God is is looking and seeking Jesus Christ. The message of the gospel and the message of the kingdom is the same. We point people to Jesus. Seek the kingdom of God. When we seek the kingdom of God, those things will be added unto us because, again, it is by our Father's good pleasure to give us. That kingdom not holding back number six radical generosity radical generosity verse 33 earlier from the parable of the rich fool who built the bigger barns but in verse 33 Jesus tells us to give generously of our possessions because the father is the one who has provided for us and will continue to provide for us and in his kingdom We have an inheritance stored up in heaven. Our inheritance isn't here, but it's far greater than what we could receive here. And when we give generously and richly, we show that our deepest love and desire is for Christ and not for the things of this world. It's an investment into the kingdom, showing what we really treasure Number seven, genuine love for fellow believers, especially the church. We see that in our passage this morning, in the care of the the leaders for the church, but also in the the everyone, to care and love and respect and give and share and to put others above ourselves. Those are the marks of the, the church that believes the gospel. I was sharing with a friend this week. He asked how... How the church was doing how things have been the the last year and i remember while I was, as i was speaking to him and telling him about some of the things we've done and and where we're going and what's been happening and you know some of the things we're looking forward to in the future and challenges and stuff like that um i remember how he told me just a few years ago that as a church plant themselves who was uh, ahead of us a few years they they began to after a couple years experience this um, this intimacy this this intimacy in their their fellowship that was very unique. It was very unique. And and despite still suffering, there was still suffering in the church. There was still sin, and people were still repenting, and there was a lot of counseling going on. They even had issues of church discipline. They still had some immature believers bringing in things, and, and false belief, and things weren't right that some people believed. But despite all that, because the gospel had done such a work in their church, they experienced intimacy. And as I was telling him about those things, I recalled that because i began to think to myself and i even told him this i said i said remember you told me that i said man i think we're there i think we're there we're we're experiencing intimacy we've grown we've matured and i've seen genuine examples of how we have loved one another And I say that to you because I hope that, as it kind of was a light that went off for me, I hope that you can see and you are encouraged, encouraged in in this particular point, the genuine love for the believers, especially of the church, that's happening. That's 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 happening but that's not happening in a way where now we can we can pull back though right none of these we can pull back but we we keep going we keep loving we keep caring and we we go even further this year as the Lord leads us and Lastly number 8 if you're keeping count obedience You see that in verse 47 that wake up call that if we know the will of God, that if we, if we know the word of God and we've been taught these things and we know the will of, of God, then we become obedient to the word of God. There's something very scary in that passage. There is in there. To willfully ignore the will of God Means that that servant will be judged. To be ready means to be obedient. And I understand that these things can be overwhelming, hard to do. I get it. But but hear this. Our only hope when Jesus comes back is 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 not by the measure of your obedience. Our only hope when Jesus comes back that any of us have is located only in his mercy, in his grace. That we have been forgiven the motive behind being ready is that grace and that mercy that we've already received it's it's not by our merit it is his righteousness and by his faithfulness that that saves us so if you are in christ then then we need not fear condemnation in the final judgment but also here that jesus never allows us to separate our trust in him from our obedience There's a difference between the true and faithful servant and the one who just pays lip service to the master. There's there's a difference between those who follow Jesus, who by grace, hear me on this, who by grace are striving to be ready. And those, even if they are leaders, only pay lip service to Jesus. There There is a difference None of us will be perfectly ready when Jesus comes. But when he does, he will make us perfect. He will make us perfect. So press on, press in, lean in, step out in faith, trust the Holy Spirit. Make the commitment to be ready. And, and I think we will be like Paul when he says in Philippians 3, 13 through 16, he says, Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, so important there, and straining forward. He says straining, I said striving. Same thing. Straining forward what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal to you also. Only let us hold true to what we have obtained. Well, what have we obtained? This morning we have obtained that Christ is coming back. And we are to strive and strain to what lies ahead, not to what's behind but holding fast to the truth. Hold fast to the truth. The faithful will be ready, not because they know the date and not because they know the time, but more importantly, the faithful will be ready because they love Jesus and they've obeyed the word of God. You want a New Year's resolution? Let me give you a resolution that Jonathan Edwards, this is the very last thing I'll say, that Jonathan Edwards made As he was a young man, this is what he said. He said, resolved, there you go, resolved, never to do anything which I should be afraid to do if I expected it would not be above an hour before I should hear the last trumpet. Never to do anything which I should be afraid to do If I expected, it would not be above an hour before I should hear the last trumpet. There's a resolution. Good news, Jesus is coming back. Good news, be ready. Good news, we have each other. Good news, we have the word of God. We have the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Lord, help us to be resolute in these matters to live our lives in in a way that's expecting the coming of Christ, your return. And, oh, Lord, we do pray for that. Come, Lord Jesus, come. In your name, amen.